The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode eight of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson. I'm coming to you from Drum Factor Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Thank you all for listening to the first seven episodes. The reviews and comments and likes have been great. Much appreciated. And if you have any suggestions for future episodes, including a guest you might like to see on the show, shoot that over to Mike at DrumFactorDirect.com. And also you can drop a DM on the Drum Factor Direct Instagram page, which I monitor daily. All right, so this week I am sitting down with my good friend Jefferson Schallenberger, the founder and master builder at Sugar Percussion. I met Jefferson many years ago when he sent me three snare drums to review. And I have to tell you, they were some of the most beautiful, gorgeous drums I've ever seen in my life. Inside and out, everything was about them was just absolutely perfect. And then when I played them, they sounded incredible. So Jefferson is, in my opinion, at the top of the game. He's reinventing what you can do with a stave shell design which is a wine barrel style where you have vertical chunks of wood glued into a circle and then milled down into a drum shell. Um, traditionally, I think of stave shells as being kind of a harsh, aggressive sound, very loud, appropriate for you know playing live. But Jefferson is reinventing that. He's getting some very warm, very natural, pure, full, uh, they're great in the studio. So I'm gonna pick his brain about just his approach and philosophy on building drums. And uh, I had the good fortune last year before COVID, actually it was February, right before everything shut down, to go out to his workshop in Santa Cruz with a few other folks and actually build a snare drum at his shop. It was pretty life, life-changing experience. So I have that drum and also have one of his five by 14 painted poplar snares. So at the end of the episode, we're going to demo both of those drums. But for now, let's uh, let's get to the interview with Jefferson. He hit me with some news I didn't know that he had moved. So let's start there. Here we go. Enjoy the show. All right, I'm not going to mess around. Jefferson, you just surprised me. You're moving to Portland. What is going on? Welcome to Drum Candy. This is a show where we talk about gear and we act like grown children and geek out over gear. We don't but talk about gear. You just left Santa Cruz and you're in Portland. What is going on? Uh, I've been waiting 10 years to move to Portland, waiting for my kid to finish high school and no longer need California. And Ooh. she did it. So now I don't need it anymore either. So what so do you do with all your tooling? It's in transition. It'll be six months to a year before we're fully up here. So I go okay. back and forth. Um, I bought a building. Uh, I bought, because I bought it, it's grim. So it needs a lot of love. <laughs> And it'll be six to 12 months before it's ready for tools to show up. So I'll go back and forth, do a couple of weeks of remodel and go down and do drum building, come back up and yeah. Okay. So it wasn't like you closed up shop and now there's no more sugar percussion drums available. Everything in Santa Cruz is still running. Noah's still there. Um, mm. And I'm back and forth. Nice. So is it a, yeah. is it the space wise? I assume it's an upgrade or similar. What is the, why'd you settle on this space? If you concentrate into the future, it's going to be an upgrade. Mm -hmm. Currently, it looks like barely a lateral move. Um, the space will be better. It's it's uh, 800 square feet more. Um, it's going to be good. It's wide open. Um, a lot more room for classes. Not that I would ever teach another class after you came through. <laughs> hey, we'll get to that. <laughs> Those are shut down <laughs> indefinitely. Uh, uh yeah it's great and it's not in santa cruz which is the greatest part okay um, and it's my santa, santa cruz for yeah so is that where you're at right now what is this your your office this is my office slash drum room slash whiteboard full of all the shit i need to do slash mega desk that just went in nice um yeah so this will, and then this this will also be the drum room. Uh, I soundproof this room so uh, I can have drums set up, and if people ever visited me again, they could play drums in here. Nice. Yeah, it looks like you're about yeah. to teach a class on I don't know cooking or something. I'm not sure what you're going to do in there. <laughs> Insert popcorn into microwave. Uh, yeah. So it's it's um it's a shop with an apartment above it. Um, there's a tenant in there now. I'll eventually live up there, but I carved a 
living space, a kitchen, a bedroom, a bathroom, and an office for now. And that's home base while I work on the shop. So you own this place? I do, which is still weird to say. Congratulations. Years old was a great time to start, I don't know, trying to move up in the world. (laughs) Yeah, by the way, happy birthday, everyone. Go to Sugar Percussion's Instagram page and wish Jefferson a happy belated birthday. I won't say how old he is, but he's always going to be older than me. Let's just put it at that. (laughs) Better do it quick because I'll probably only be around for another couple of years. (laughs) The twilight years are upon us. This is midlife. We're fucked because I don't want to live. <laughs> All right. So now I'm going to get to my questions, the formal questions. Please no gear. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Whatever you want to talk about. It's just nothing about drums or drum building. Definitely no, nothing I, about snare drums. Right. <laughs> um, okay. So I'm asking everyone this. You know, how have you? I mean, you've made a huge business and personal change, but how have you been dealing with the past year creatively and also with your approach to the business? What have you had to do to kind of keep things rolling? Turns out professional woodworking is not dissimilar in a pandemic than it is in normal times. Mm. Uh, my life is, uh, I, I got off pretty easy. Um, as far as personal and work and just sort of, what what my world looks like it's not that much different it were a hermetic breed um i wake up go downstairs spend the day in the wood shop i could never know that the entire world is melting outside um other than the hit in business um which there were a couple months where it just kind of dried up sort of stopped as everyone was figuring out how bad this was going to be and for how long mm-hmm. um and then interestingly it shifted from working musicians to people that had actual jobs and were stuck at home and were miserable and wanted home to feel better. So mm-hmm. they were asking for the grace of their, from their spouses to let them buy drum sets and make them more cheerful. So I've been making a lot more during this time for people at home. Um, and now it's just showing signs of inching back into uh, working drummers. Hmm. Yeah. As that, was it more kits? Is it mostly snare drums? More kits. Yeah. A lot more kits this year. Um, turns out if you have a real job, you can afford a whole kit. (laughs) Yeah. They're not really that expensive. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think there's also been, uh, uh, maybe a bit of self-indulgence, a bit of, um, sort of the fruit of feeling lucky to have work. You know, I think there's been an added preciousness to employment this year. Mm. And so maybe some splurges on oneself. Um, and I've been the uh, bearer of that or the I've gotten the fruit of that. Um, yeah, it's been interesting. I, I Like I said, I got off easy. Mm. <clears throat> it, it did. We did take a hit, but I, I didn't worry about whether I was going to eat or pay rent, which is way past what most people were mm. fearing. Yeah. So early on, um, you made a brilliant decision to start making drums to then raffle them off for fundraisers. Um, for brilliant? Is that what you're calling that? Yeah, I think it was brilliant. I don't know if it, it did it create tax nightmares for you, but I thought it was a brilliant way to just, this is what I do, and how can I then help this community that's suffering? Pretty brilliant. And when I saw the numbers, you raised a lot of freaking money building snare drums, dude. Yeah, we, uh, I was, I, I admit I was surprised when I tallied it up from last year. It was over 50 grand. But, um, you know, I think, <clears throat> to be honest, and this started before the pandemic, but uh, this is the, this is the result of a white male growing up in the suburbs finally opening his eyes, realizing how he had everything gifted to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I processed the guilt of that in maybe not the healthiest way, but um, instead of therapy, I built drums and gave them away. I mean, that's that healthy. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, it could, there could be worse, worse manifestations of that. Um, uh, and then 
you know, we try, I forget what the very first one was. Maybe it was a hurricane relief. There were, there was that year that every other month there was some state was underwater and mm, fires. Yeah. And then it started to, I don't know, there was, it, it was a experiment. Um, I didn't think of it as a long-term thing. The first giveaway was just a, a one-off and then quickly started to feel, I don't know, there, there was, there was like a, a new pride about the company. It felt like this is way bigger than just wooden circles. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it felt the first time it was the first time that I felt like, uh, like there was leverage, like I could actually in combination with all the, all the generous people that were following that together we could actually do something. It sounds a little like overly profound, but that's what it felt like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now it feels like an integral part of the business. Um, Cause so I'll take you- this gift from my grave. So we'll keep doing this. <laughs> <laughs> are you like creating like a formal charity or foundation or is it just, <laughs> I mean, yeah. what are you doing? I do that? No. <laughs> My accountant looks confused every wait, you did what? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure I'm in some sort of tax trouble. Uh but no, I I haven't done that. Maybe I should do that. Maybe that would be better. Because I think you actually can't do fundraisers on social media. So I'm breaking a couple laws. Um Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll fall on the mercy of the judge. Oh, the good. Well, I think it's great. And I wish, um, I wish everyone could think that way. Like what can you do in whatever lane you're in to just contribute a little bit? Um, cause I mean, a little bit turned into a year's salary for, for someone really pretty amazing. Sure. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah. I mean, better than a first year teacher. That's why I quit teaching. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. It feels so let's uh, let's shift into the gear talk. That's what the show is all about. We're here to nerd out. I know you love this stuff. Is that really what people want to hear? Is that is that the, that's the main focus of this? It's a hundred percent. All the, all the other talk is yeah. Everything else is just ancillary. The most important <sighs> question: What was your first snare drum? Not that you made, but that you owned. Uh, it was a Ludwig uh, Mother of Pearl wrapped something that someone gifted me. Nice. Yeah, that's not bad. Do you still still have have a? No, of course not. (laughs) Sentimental burden, man. (laughs) Um, I'm sure it got destroyed or left somewhere um, because there was a big gap between starting playing and putting away, and then playing more, and then building, and then there Mm -hmm. were huge in there. So there was never any sort of uh, ongoing thread of. but yeah, it was a boyfriend of my mom's that I think he was trying to impress my mom and he gave me a snare drum. Not and a then bad she first did. gift. <laughs> and then we she dumped him, is that what you said? <laughs> 86, the dude, we got the drum. <laughs> so you'll thank me for this. <laughs> you really want to impress her? How about a whole kit? <laughs> yeah. So then when you, so you, you, Got in the drums, you left drums. When you came back, what did you get? What was your what was your instrument that you played? Uh, around the same time, I think I was 12, uh, a good friend of my mom's, her son was a drummer, and he upgraded to his 35-piece uh, Neil Peart Tama wraparound thing, and he mm-hmm. gave me his little fives kit. Um, and that was what I had for years until it, uh, until shit, I was at woodworking school, and that kit had finally, it was wrapped in gauze tape and duct tape and, and mm. hope and prayer. And, and um, I had some extra time at woodworking school. And I, so I decided to make new shells and then ripped all the hardware off of it and, and put that together. It was a piece of shit. It was, <laughs> I wouldn't jack my car up with that kit. <laughs> Which kit? The first one you built or the fives kit? No, well, the five kit, fives kit at the end of its life and the first kit that I built. Yeah, they were equally crappy. <laughs> that was a lateral move. Um, so, so what was your biggest mistake with that first kit? Um, education? One <laughs> Yeah. Uh, 
What was my biggest mistake? I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there were circles. <laughs> I don't know why they sounded so bad. <laughs> what were they made of? Uh, Douglas fir. It He's was a wood that was around. Uh, yeah, it was pretty. Um, uh, I mean, I didn't know a thing about a bearing edge or a shell thickness or a whatever or shit. I didn't know how to tune a drum, so maybe they were great. Mm. <laughs> Who knows? Um, yeah, uh, but it, it planted a seed. It, that seed wouldn't uh, bear fruit for another five years. It got put away, and then I had to go to work and start a business and. Um, it was another five years before there was enough free time to sort of re-explore. Um, and then I built the next one and so then I built one for my brother. And then I, you know, as, as entrepreneurial, uh, endeavors go, you build shit for yourself. Then you build shit for family at one, one hundredth, the price it's worth. And then you get that first call from someone you don't know. It's like, wait, you don't know my mom. Great. This is a business. <laughs> That's how it works. Yeah. So you went right into building kits. You didn't start by like, let me try a snare drum. Uh, when I finally, well, I built that one for myself, that one for my brother. And then when I finally, it was sort of off hours working on it. Um, I spent about a year doing, I guess what you would call R and D. And I just grabbed every piece of wood that I had in the shop and built, uh, the same size snare drum out mm -hmm. of it, different thicknesses. Um, different woods, different heads, different hooves, different whatever, and and sort of trying to find my way to what sounded good. Um, and I had been I had been milling wood for an acoustic guitar maker at the time. Mm. Um, so I heard all this. I, this is my one spiel that I have. You heard it all at the snare building class. But he, we used to talk about why this wood for this guitar and why this wood for the backs and the tops and the sides. And, um, and then I started making these snare drums and it, all of that information was uh, coming up. And so I was exploring that. And and then out of, I don't know, 50 woods, I had about five to 10 that were stuff that I could know I could get, good stock, stuff that was sounding good. And then I went to explore that more before I ever sort of hung out a uh, shingle for business, you know? I imagine you got pretty good source where you're at now. Uh, yeah, I've done sort of rudimentary exploration and it looks pretty good. Um, there's no, you can't swing a dead cat without hitting a woodworker in Portland. So I would think, they, yeah. Are supplies, yeah. Yeah. So are you going to be, cause I think of your, what is your core palette? It's the Alaskan cedar, cherry. And mahogany. Mahogany. It used to be ebony, right? Uh, no more of the ebony. It, it was too ornery. It was really unstable wood, and we had some cracking issues, so mm. I shut that down, which is too bad. It was great stuff, but it's it was unpredictable. The um, cherry mahogany and the yellow Alaskan cedar is your kind of trio. Are you so I'm to closer to Alaska, so that I've cut some of the <laughs> The rest you can find everywhere. So, yeah. And is then there like are a couple others. Uh, I was at the lumber yard here the other day and there are a couple others that I hadn't seen in a while or at least down in California. So that'll be fun to explore some more. Nice. And you also, I guess you added poplar in the recent years as a yeah. somewhat mm -hmm. regular. Um, that you can find everywhere too. Any other species that are like, you're always going to have them? Walnut? Uh, walnuts are not, not a very straight growing tree. So in order to get straight grain, I need to buy two to three times as much just to harvest the good stuff mm -hmm. um and it's also gone off the charts in price so um i'll do it as a as a one-off thing but it's it's too expensive and too much waste to do as a regular thing yeah so we should talk about your decision to make um solid shell drums using stave shell construction and and why you go that route which then influences the wood you have to use because you have these, it's not like a plywood shell where you can cover it up with paint and wraps. And Do you tell us, Mike, you've been through the class. <laughs> you can walk, I can go get some more coffee. Why don't you tell them how they're made? Well, you know, here's this funny because a, a, a few episodes back, no, I was a guest on Mike Johnson's podcast and he and his, his 
co-host Eddie asked me, you know, is there really a difference between wood species? And I said, if if you're talking about a plywood shell, not really, dude. Look at you. Not Look really. But if you're talking about a solid shell, then it's a whole different ballgame. Nice. So you have learned well, Padawan. <laughs> so yes, please give me the the um the truncated story of why you use or not the truncated, the full story of why you why know, solid shell construction is your method of choice. I don't truncate well, <laughs> uh, as my daughter would attest to. I I started with the stave because it made the most sense to me. You know, I think most people building drums are were drummers and then they learned how to do woodworking in order to build drums. Whereas I had already learned woodworking to make furniture and then I decided to make drums. So I had a, I already had a, a tool set of vocabulary for woodworking. And then <clears throat> looking at what the, there was steam bent, saw hollowing out a log plywood mm-hmm. and statement uh, made the most sense to me with what I knew how to do in a wood shop. Um, the world certainly didn't need another plywood drum maker. I couldn't make anything better. It also requires a bunch of machinery. <clears throat> the steam bent, I felt like after Craviato, why would anybody else mm. do that? Um, the hollowing out a log seems like a terrible idea from a woodworking standpoint. Um, you take something that has learned to be at rest and then you, with a bunch of tension in it, and then you take out 90% of it and hope it stays in a circle while you beat the shit out of it. It doesn't really seem, <clears throat> at least with mine, with where I'm coming from, that seemed like a bad idea. So then staves made sense. So and why it was the is... thing how to do in a wood shop that like, I, I've said this before is the, the drum making is the simplest woodworking I've done. It's not a hard thing with, with what I was trained to make at school, making a circle is not hard woodworking. Um, mm. So that part was easy. It's like how, but how well can you make a circle was sort of the endeavor. Um, and how can I make it that where it doesn't look like a circle or it doesn't look like it was made of pieces, how, you know, which species will speak well in this particular format or, you know, that kind of thing. And then that led to all the investigation with the different species. And then the crane just sort of naturally rose to the top. Um, yeah, that's pretty so, truncated. That's pretty darn good. So what is it about the way that shell is configured that you feel makes it resonate the most purely and naturally for that species? Um, I think it's, for me, it's just getting out of mother nature's way. I feel like all the work has just been done and I'm, and we're just trying not to fuck it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and the best way to do that is to make it as well as we can. You know, I think the, Wood gets to act like it wants to act if it's not in a tweaked position, if it's calm and at rest. So if I have a bunch of pieces and they're all twisting and I clamp the shit out of it and pray with glue that it'll hold it together, it's 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 like a it's it's a tense system. And I don't think the wood gets to sort of naturally do what it wants to do in that mm-hmm. arrangement. So if by milling all this wood into the number, I mean, you remember this from the class, like all the pieces need to be just sort of lying there limp and straight and calm. And when you put it into a circuit circle, it's not fighting you. Mm-hmm. So that circle is at rest and it's the closest thing. I'm trying to take, uh, well, we get the wood in rectangular form. I'm trying to turn that into a circle without having to like really over manipulate it. So it's just a matter of, it's, a, I don't know how better to say it than a circle at rest. Um, uh, then the wood is going to act like whatever that wood wants to act. And then, and then you get to exploit the differences. <clears throat> and, and that's why a lot of the, the plywood shells, it doesn't matter as much because you have all that glue in between the plies. I mean, it's still solid wood. It's just really thin sheets, but with every thin sheet, you have a, a layer of hard glue. Mm-hmm. And so that wood doesn't get to really act solely like, it is it's it's acting like itself plus glue plus another ply plus glue plus you know so we're just trying to let the wood still be wood just put it in a different shape does that make sense it does so anyone listening doesn't know what a stave shell is it is blocks of wood that are like a wine yeah like a wine barrel so they're vertical so from top to bottom it's a block of wood and then they're arranged in a circle so you're not twisting 
the wood in any way. No, you're, it's just math. You're just cutting angles. And so when you roll them all up, it makes a circle. Yeah. So have you ever, I don't think I've ever seen you experiment with mixing woods in one shell. Like cross. No, and I've been asked, you know, when I started, when I learned woodworking, um, they taught us how to be snobs. And <laughs> that was a little hard sell for me. <laughs> you might imagine. Um, and I saw so much dog shit woodworking with high contrast, mm. um, really showy wood displays. And it, it was always trying to mask poor woodworking. So I've got some association in my head with if, if it's a, it's of a black, white, high contrast, eye popping thing, something's being hidden there. Mm. I don't necessarily believe it's true, but something goes off in my head and I have a sort of a repulsion to that. Um, so that would be the long winded way of saying no. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I can't bring that association. Um, yeah. So I got to test your drums before I really knew you. And then I got to come to your, your shop in Santa Cruz and spend a few days with you and make a drum and kind of experience your process in the flesh. After then, we became friends and I got to know you. Um, but even from that first impression, I think you sent me three snare drums. I've never seen a drum that had so much attention to the details that no one else thinks about or looks at or, or thinks is a contributing factor to the instrument. Like making sure the inside is just as beautiful as the outside, making sure the vent hole doesn't have any jagged edges. Do you want to hear a funny story? Yeah. <clears throat> Yours was going to be the first review of our drums. And we measured the distance from the corner of the box to the edge of the tape. So they matched on both sides on every box. We were, <laughs> I, I went so deep. <laughs> Like, there is no fucking way I'm going to give one thing for this guy to say anything bad. We measured the tape. That's what we care about. That's <laughs> why I love you. <laughs> the distance for the little S circle in the corner off the corner. So it, I had a little square and I measured it on all of them. Go find those boxes. Holy down to cow. The and I'm <laughs> going to tell you, it translated, dude. Like, it's the stuff that, like, that stuff translates. And then when I took the instrument out and played it, it was like... This is an absolutely flawless instrument. Not only does it look beautiful, not only can I respect the craftsmanship, but the darn things just sound absolutely amazing. And then to be able to hear the three different species, same sizes, I believe. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, now I really do hear a difference. Because I think you at that point it was ebony, mm -hmm. cherry, and the Alaskan cedar, yeah. which to me you couldn't get a, a three more distinct sounding woods. Huge education. Yeah. So then, yeah. that, and after talking to you for a bit, you you kind of <laughs> your philosophy is you stop messing with the drum when the voices in your head <laughs> tell you that it's it's going to be okay. I, don't, I'm, I might be telling that the wrong way. What is the voice in your head? Uh, well, the voices are always there. It's it's how quiet I can make them, uh, mm. and the voices just respond to things that bother me. Um, and I think. I mean, I had a natural penchant for that, but then I went to a school for woodworking that celebrated, embraced, endorsed, furthered, enhanced that, mm. where there was no <clears throat> there was no end to the neuroses. Mm -hmm. And anybody, it, it was a jockeying for who could be the most neurotic. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, maybe that's, I mean, it set me up. <clears throat> for the rest of my life of misery, but... <laughs> but you make a damn good drum. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what it... We, I guess we were just taught that um, that there are no bad sides. Mm -hmm. That there isn't anything that's less important than another thing. <clears throat> and I think also, I mean, that got, that got uh, embedded at the beginning of woodworking. But then when I jumped to drums, you know, the first thing I did was go to whatever nice store was around and pull all the thousand dollar snares off the wall and start examining them. Mm. And some of them were, were beautiful on the outside. And then you flip them over and it's like, oh man, it's a freaking cigarette button there. Or like, 
20 more minutes, this thing could have been just as pretty on the inside as it was on the outside. And that really bummed me out because Mm -hmm. past a certain money threshold, there shouldn't be anything that was, um, I mean, they were charging enough to do a nice job. Why did they not do a nice job? Um. Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instrument, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. So, yeah, there really isn't any part of the entire process that matters any less than another. Um, and that just got kind of, that had gotten instilled early on in this career. So, uh, and now if, if, you know, there are times, uh, times when money is tight or stress is high and the thought of cutting corners happens. And then mm-hmm. as soon as that thought comes in, it's just like, ugh, just makes me kind of sick. Um, and I also think that's, that's a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. Um, you use one thing, then it becomes a hell of a lot easier to excuse the next thing. So we just don't. Um, and then I sleep well and, uh, I don't have to worry about my kid being embarrassed of me and <laughs> the voices get calmer. The only thing that matters. <laughs> yeah. So is, is drum building similar to being a performing artist where like some days nothing is right? Like there's just some days where everything I play is just garbage and maybe it's just a, a skewed perspective because I'm tired or, or tired of myself, but it's definitely real where days I'm like, I cannot make a right, a good sound on this instrument. Are there days where you just cannot make a drum? Um, or you have to kind of trust yourself a little bit more that you will make a good drum, even though you think it's crap. There's there, some of the analogy sticks, but not completely. Um, I think, uh, woodworking is a little more mechanical than that. Mm. There are certain, you know, the drums, the, the drum process is dialed. You know, it's it's been years, we've been doing it for 10 years and um, the system is set up mm-hmm. to where if you buy good wood, send it through all these processes, that there will be a good circle at the end. Um, and you have to try hard to fuck that up. Mm-hmm. But with, I mean, if in furniture, so I guess the, the analogy is more in design. There mm-hmm. are days where I can't, I can't draw a square. Mm-hmm. And there are days where it's just like stuff is just sort of pouring out. Um, but the drum building is not so much like that, thankfully, because emotionally I have those days all the time. Mm-hmm. And still, I can still go cut wood and make good circles. So, uh, yeah. Some days, some days the tools seem to be, it's almost like maybe instead of me as a performing artist, but the whole orchestra is just a little bit like <laughs> something. It's just like shut it down and go do something else, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the process has been dialed enough that, that I don't worry about that. If have the tools you, are working and you're paying attention, then everything will be fine. Have you met a tree that just is your enemy? I will not cooperate. Oh, several. Yeah, I don't use those anymore. <laughs> there are trees that there trees are not alike. I mean, there are even within the same species. There are, for whatever reason, climate, soil, uh, weather, whatever. Uh, some things just have a bunch of tension in them, and you know that you know it right uh, right from the start. The first cut that you make, and things start coming off the saw like a banana. It's just like I know mm. I'm fighting it, fighting this the whole way. Um, and it's one thing to, if I were making a circle that you'd hang on the wall, maybe some of that you could use and you could fight it into submission, mm-hmm. but in this format where you're then beating the crap out of it, it just feels like this is, I'm just, I'm setting myself up for a call back when this thing falls apart on some gig and then someone's pissed and, you know, it's fortunately you can tell that with the first cut that you make. Um, and then you start to weed out the suppliers that don't do a good job drying the wood or have bad sources and um, and then you know where to go and it's pretty trustworthy 
Yes. I've never thought about it. It's less about you having to fight the wood to make a drum. It's more about what is that drum going to end up being when you're done with it, right? Like mm -hmm. how how stable is that beast going to be? Yeah, I mean, I can. I I've bought a lot of machinery and and I can fight a lot of wood, but it's it's what you're going to do with it after that. It just mm. like I said before, it just wants to be calm. You don't want to force it into a circle because you're going to be doing everything you can to break it apart in just using it. Mm -hmm. So you don't want to give it any more reason to break apart. Um, and, it, and if it's calm, you know, the woodworking, the, the gluing is stronger than the wood itself. If the woodworking is good, um, mm -hmm. you're not fighting to get two pieces to glue together, then the glue will do a better job holding than the wood itself. So you start smashing drums on the ground and they, they break in between the glue joints. Um, it's kind of like, uh, I think when you set a broken uh, bone, the, the, the fiber or the cells go, the connection goes within the bone instead of just a surface thing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Nerdery. So yeah. scars are stronger is what you're saying. <laughs> so I have this proud baby here. This is the one I made. I'll show it up. Hang I made this under your tutelage, so this is proof that an idiot. It still works. <laughs> uh, my apologies for all the muffling. I had to use it on a, a country ballad. <laughs> I knew you get a kick out of that. <laughs> but I remember when I when I had the the pieces all laid out. You know, this is where mm -hmm. to me the your your magic your your genius was full full bore to me because I thought it looked okay. And you came over. I mean, part of it was a little bit of, you know, trying to get under my skin, but you like, you're like, you going to leave it like that? <laughs> you you going to leave it like that? <laughs> it's a little bit of hazing. And I kept looking at it like, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. But yeah, after a while, I just kind of stared. I was like, oh, yeah, that probably should be there or there. And then you came back over and you're like, hmm, you going to leave it like that? <laughs> so then I finally just said, could you just, you do it. Give me, give me what you would do. And it was like freaking beautiful mind. It was like an algebra equation. The pieces were <laughs> flipping and spinning. I'm like, what the heck is this guy doing? That sounds like an insult. And then you got to the end. It was like, that doesn't bother me anymore. I'm like, cool, dude. Cool. <laughs> Whatever yeah. that means. But it is, I mean, I have no idea where the, um, where the seams are. Literally can't see them. That's my favorite kind of woodworking is when no one knows you were there. Um, yeah, that whole stave, uh, orienting process is fun. It's, it's this weird kind of soft focus, um, voices in my head thing and everybody's screaming, everyone that looks out of place and where you can see it next to the other one, you can see the two different ones is another voice yelling and you start moving around and that voice goes away and then that voice goes away. And when it's all quiet, you just back away, put the glue on and tape it up. <laughs> That's that's the, that's the clearest example of the voices in your head kind of thing. It's just every scanning back and forth and everything that pops out is another, hey, fucker, mm. right here kind of thing. Yeah, It's like a seating chart at a wedding. <laughs> I wouldn't know, man. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, man. So... Um, Quickly, tell me sonically, this is a yellow last conceder. How do you define that? How do you define mahogany? How do you define cherry? Cedar is a warm bag of pudding. Mahogany is, do you remember honeycomb cereal? Heck yeah. Yep. Nice. Uh, but in the milk for 90 seconds, not fresh out of the box. Okay. A little some crunch, but some mush inside. And then cherry is more like a bowl of hard candy. What was the first one? Pudding? Bag of warm pudding. Warm pudding. Hmm. A bag of warm pudding. <laughs> There's probably a colostomy bag joke in there somewhere, but uh... <laughs> that's disgusting. Why did I make that drum? Um, so at the workshop, um, ho hopefully you're going to be able to do these again once we everyone gets vaccinated and we come out of this craziness. But the first step for us was. Um, to just hit drums and 
how many people were there? Five, six people. Uh, we all agreed that the Alaskan cedar was the most definitively different sounding of the three. It just, maybe not even sound, it just felt different. You can definitely it, feel it. An hour yeah. on that is different than an hour on a cherry drum. Um, I mean, it's hitting a pillow versus hitting the wall kind of thing. Yeah, and that's kind of where my my head has been shifting towards. It's more about the feel of a drum a lot of times than what... Well, you're getting older, Michael. That's true. Those things matter more. <laughs> that is true. Probably a time of day when ebony would have been the, the only tool for me. Yeah, that's an angry 12-year-old drum. <laughs> Uh, so how do you guide if someone calls you up and says, I want, I want you to build me a drum. I don't really know what I want. You know, where do you start? Uh, I ask for, uh, sometimes I ask for them to describe the sound they're looking for, but use food. Um, that's, that's something about the food analogy makes sense to me. Mm. And whenever I describe it, that's where, that's my go-to. Sometimes I just tell them to give me three adjectives. Sometimes I tell them to send me a recording of something they really like. Um, yeah, it's so, I mean, I could list off the attributes of each of them, but, but those same words mean different things to different people. So I'm trying to get them to say something and then I can fit in, um, I can fit in what uh, what they're saying into what I know about these species, mm. um, and it's, it's usually not that hard. Um, they'll say some. There'll be one trigger word where it's like, "Oh, this is what you want." Now I get it. Mm. Um, yeah. You ever had and anyone? It's more cool than than talk. You know, we have a lot of videos of the drums, and it's. I, I suggest more often to close your eyes and listen. Mm. Um, because people can get wrapped up in the in the aesthetics of the drum, which now that I say that, that's a bunch of crap. The aesthetics are every bit as important as. <laughs> I mean, that's your whole thing, isn't it? <laughs> I don't really care how she records, but <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think a lot of eyes closed listening is good. Um, yeah, it's just conversation. Usually, I, they'll they'll say one word that will make it obvious to me. Have you ever had anyone say? I want you to build me a kit. I want you to decide what it is, sizes, species. Here's what I need to do. It needs to be a uh, modern rock studio kit, or it needs to be a cafe jazz kit or something. You just described every order. They just don't know it. Okay. I just walk them through it, making them think that they've decided what they want, but really uh, I've told them. Smart man. Uh, no, never such a wide green light, um, but close. Sizes, yeah, because I, I, our sizing is a little bit different with these shells, and I have to have conversations about shallower mm -hmm. drums, um, conventional sizes being too much. and um, uh, But yeah, pretty close to that sometimes. Is it ever just a total 180 from what they might have thought they wanted versus what they end up getting? Sure. Yeah, but uh, most people have been playing plywood drums, so it's you know it's it's uh, it's not apples to apples; it's apples to fish. Mm. Ew. <laughs> so there's sort of a de-learning process, and then a relearning, um, or just sort of a recalibration. Um, yeah, it's the same thing with the sizes. You know, they they grew up playing a, a 22 inch deep kick, and it's like that's home to them. It's like no, I'm not your guy, kind of thing. Mm. That will sound like shit out of out of these shells, you know. Um, yeah, so there's a divorce process of of habits. Yeah. All right. Last question. As my favorite woodworker, <laughs> what would you do? <laughs> with Name this? me another. Son of a bitch. What would you do with this crappy steel snare drum? It's one of the pearl, like probably the eighties, they where they were making everybody's beginner level drums. I'm gonna trick this thing out. So I'm asking everyone that comes on, what would you do with it first? And you can't say smash it with a hammer. No, well, yeah, that's what you're trying to get me to say, but I won't go there. I'm not taking the bait. Okay. I would van halen it for sure. Okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? You've never heard van halen as a verb? I mean, Black Dot? 
No, painted. Oh, painted. <laughs> Act up. What is that? I don't know what that is. Painted. Um, yeah. Well, there's there's nothing uh, there's nothing threatening about an old metal drum. Mm. Uh, if there were a wood drum, we'd be talking about uh, s'mores and uh, other ways you could use it. But um, I would definitely Van Halen it. Uh, I'd probably chuck it across the room, give it some like street cred. Um, beyond that, if it's round, uh, it should be fine. You can make a pretty, I, I know this is counter to business, but you can make a pretty, dr- pretty shitty drum sound good if with a couple things. Well, yeah. like what? I mean, the Van Halen paint isn't going to make it sound good. What would you do? Yeah, but if it looks that good, it doesn't matter what it sounds like. I don't think you've been listening, Michael. <laughs> you asked me to come on, and you <laughs> you got some great questions. You all figured out before. <laughs> well, I mean, it should be flat. It should be round. And there should be some snare beds, yeah. which might not be there on a $30 yeah. drum. True. Uh, and beyond that, I, I mean, uh, how much lipstick do you have for that pig? Everything. We got the whole, we got every lug, every hoop, every wire, every head, every throw off imaginable. There's nothing I would do. I would eBay it for the 40 bucks you'd get <laughs> and start our new payment plan that we're offering. <laughs> you could email JS at <laughs> Sugar Percussion. All I have your attention, if you could just... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so you, you would examine the structure, like maybe bend the shell a bit if it needs it, or or file in some snare beds if it needs it. I mean, there are, there are a couple of crucial things. Are the things never going to sound right? It's got to be round. It's got to be flat, and uh, a bearing edge that isn't jagged. You know, mm. it's got to be flat and round. Um, without that, it doesn't really matter what you do. Have you checked those things, Michael? Oh, I haven't. It literally was sent to me as a as a kind of a gag gift from a friend, and I haven't touched it. <laughs> it's just been here. <laughs> it sounds okay, but, you know, I mean, it detunes. The throw-off sucks. So I just wanted to see if I could get it any kind of working condition. If not... Certainly you could throw better hardware on it, um, but if it's detuning, then it's probably not flat. Um, mm, okay. I don't know. I mean, I have a bunch of tools at the shop that are perfectly flat that you can put it on. Um, you can get a piece of glass. Mm-hmm. That's that's this easily accessible flat material, like quarter-inch glass, and stick a flashlight in it and put it down there and see if light shows up in different places. Okay. Uh, is it, Do you know what it's made out of? Is it aluminum? It's a steel. It's old steel. Mm-hmm. Just a rolled steel. Uh, it'll be harder to sand flat, but you can do it. Um, if it's if it's way out, uh, round the bearing edges. See if it's round. Check dimensions mm-hmm. this, way, this way. And yeah, I've never heard of um, a shell detuning because it's not flat. That's a new one. You just well, it's, it's it. under different. It's I mean the head's not. It's it's it, it's let's see. It's the same as that circle of resting. It's like you're you're twisting something and then hope and then beating on it and hope it it moves symmetrically. I mean, if you tune it and it's flat as it detunes, it should detune equally, you mm-hmm. know, but if one you had to crank because there was a dip in the shell and you needed to get the same amount of tension at that point, And that one's way more under, under tension than things are going to move independently. Mm. Um, and you can get it to tune, but then it's going to slip out. Um, yeah. That would be my guess. I'm making all of this up. I don't really. <laughs> Last question. All-time favorite snare drum sound on record. Don't think about it too much. Really? Yep. This. Yep. And you can't say John Bonham. I don't, I don't think you would, but you uh, can't say John Bonham. Uh, White, steak, White Snake, Thrill of the Night. <laughs> Good choice. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect choice <laughs> for a... Knocky. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah well, tell me all But it, yeah. part of that sound was this, the flip on the snare hit, something that I have a personal envy for, so that could be influencing my decision. <laughs> Loudest drummer I've ever seen in clinic. I'd say. Yes. Yeah. 
Without a doubt. Well, Jefferson, thank you so much for spending time to sit down with us. Um, hopefully, you'll get your workshops happening again so listeners can come um, study on you for the few days and walk away with a drum that you will definitely want to be buried with. Um, if you're or interested, in. Or buried in. Get a big enough bass drum, get buried in. Uh, yeah. You do. You mentioned it. Uh, in passing, but you do offer a very cool payment plan. So if anyone is interested in purchasing a sugar percussion drum, um, no interest payment, right? It's it's just a layaway sort of plan. Or do you get the drum and then pay? How does it work? Uh, no, you make the first payment and then you're in the queue and the drum ships as soon as it's ready. Most people have made one to two payments before it ships. Um, yeah. Great. So how, and how they reach you? Uh, my mom's phone number is, uh, it's all on the website. Uh, I think there's a phone number and an email there. Okay. Um, that's the best because all the videos there, all the everything and more that you could ever want to know about me and my family and the wood shop and the dog is all there. Great. So go to sugarpercussion.com, place your orders now. If I'm going to tell you to get anything, it's the Yellow Alaskan Cedar, but you make your decision, but get the Yellow Alaskan Cedar. It's up to you, though. Uh, and yeah, so I'm, I'm going to bring you back on because we didn't even get into one topic I wanted to talk about, which was hoops. We're going to talk about that later because I like your philosophy on choosing hoops. So if you're with willing and able, I'll bring you back on when we deep dive into hoops. Big ass, Michael. <laughs> really hard. <laughs> if not, I'll just plagiarize and just tell your philosophy to everyone <laughs> all right thanks jefferson all right man i hope you enjoyed my chat with jefferson now it is time to check out two of the drums that he made one is a 5x14 painted poplar and the other is a 6x14 yellow alaskan cedar so the yellow alaskan cedar is the one that i built quote unquote i built myself at his shop under his tutelage and his uh the other builder for, for Sugar Percussion, Noah. Uh, we had our hands on pretty much the whole process. Uh, definitely Jefferson helped me make sure I didn't screw it up. So what we're gonna do is uh, I have the both of the drums, believe it or not, they are tuned identically to start at what I think of a medium tuning, medium high maybe. So it was a C sharp if you, if you use any kind of pitch reference around the tension rod. So the overtones by the tension rod was a C sharp. And then above that on the bottom was a G. Both drum drums started exactly there. Even though the perceived pitch ends up being different, the, the cedar sounds deeper. So what I did was I chopped it up. So we're gonna do the medium tuning for the six by 14 yellow Alaskan cedar. And then we will go to the white painted poplar five by 14. And then after you hear those tunings, I crank each lug up, uh, I think it was a half a turn on each lug. They're both eight lug drums. So the, the adjustments should have been even. Um, I did a half turn on every lug, and then the same thing, you'll hear the yellow Alaskan cedar first, and then you'll hear the painted poplar. And then I took them both down three quarters of a turn, kind of medium low, kind of fat and sloppy. And I also uh, loosened the snare wires one click on the uh, trick throw off. It's a three position strainer, so I went from being fully tight to the medium setting. So anyway, check them out. It's pretty interesting to hear these two drums, I mean, it's not a true apples to apples because of the depth difference, but you can still kind of hear the difference in tone, I think, of what the cedar does versus what the poplar does. Um, you know, make your own opinions on which one you like best. They're both amazing. They both still have a very, very sensitive, very smooth sound. Um, great feel under the sticks, which obviously you can't hear. So if you get a chance to put your hands on some sugar percussion snares, please do. Um, and I think you're gonna you're gonna find them delightful to play. So these are both uh, you know first choice studio drums for me. Um, I use the painted poplar, usually tuned higher for more of a funky sound. And the cedar has been really working great in that low kind of punchy sound. It takes muffling really well too. Um, in both of these clips, there is no muffling whatsoever. And the microphones, I'm having a mono overhead. It's a Mojave uh, tube condenser over the overhead a uh, Mojave large diaphragm condenser in front of the bass drum and then I have an SE electronics snare mic on top and bottom of the snare and that's it in two room mics two audio technica ribbons are out in the room and that's it very minimum uh, 
effects processing on the recordings, just typical EQ and light compression that I would do on any recording. And that's it, so let's check them out. So again, let's start with the 6x14 yellow Alaskan cedar tuned medium. Okay, now here's the 5x14 poplar at the exact same tuning. Here is the cedar cranked up. and the painted poplar cranked up. Right now here is the cedar it's a six by 14 again a yellow alaskan cedar detuned three quarters of a turn from where i where i was just at in the high tuning And I did the same thing with the 5x14 painted poplar, medium low.
right, that's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in. Again, if you have any suggestions, shoot them over to Mike at DrumFactoryDirect.com. That can be a gear-related topic. That can be a suggestion for an artist. We are getting towards the end of Season 1, and I'm going to be pivoting a little bit into some other topics. This was our first diversion from artist and instead focusing on a builder, so that'll be happening more often. And I've got some other ideas coming. So if you don't mind, please review this this show on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating, drop a review, share it with your friends, share the social media posts. Anything we can do, get to spread the word to make sure every drummer knows this show exists because we're all drum nerds and we all love gear. All right, so we'll see you next week and have a good one. Thanks.